All right, we're going to go to our first video um, for our alpha session today. Uh, um, I have no idea. Why did Jesus die? Jesus, I should really know this. Big question for early in the morning, isn't it? Jesus died for people, other people. He's saving us. Was it Pontius Pilate probably got a bit jealous of Jesus getting all the birds, so... We all die. People die for different reasons. Uh, to, well, it, it, I think it was supposed to be like for our sins, wasn't it? Jesus died because people didn't agree with him. Well, probably fear is why he died more than anything else. Didn't he like sacrifice himself on the cross? So, it's his choice. Jesus died because of people's beliefs. That's up for discussion. <laughs> Everybody dies. No one lives forever. So the question we're focusing on today is why did Jesus have to die? Now what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn around, find three or four people, and I'd like you to tell each other why you think Jesus had to die, okay? So do that right now. Just turn around and uh, tell the people around you why you think Jesus had to die. Well, how many of you think you got the perfect answer? <laughs> You know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons, there are a lot of reasons, I suppose, that we could give that Jesus had to die, and, um, but what we can't do is we can't turn that question into a really simple answer. It's a very complex answer because the problem that Jesus came to cure or to fix was, uh, is a really difficult problem. But I think the, the, the question, why did Jesus have to die, can be really summed up with, you know, um, three words or four words, I guess it is. No, three words. God loves you. That's why Jesus had to die, is because God loves you. The scripture says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The reason why the plan was concocted that Jesus would come to earth and die on a cross was because God loves us, because he cares about us, because he doesn't want to see us hurt and suffering. He doesn't want to see us um, being overcome by evil and all of the things that come along with that. So God was thinking about a plan, and part of the plan was Jesus coming to earth to die. You know, just a few weeks ago, um, Hope and I traveled uh, to Halifax, Nova Scotia, where our ninth grandchild had just been born uh, a week or so earlier than that. And so we got to hold our little grandson, Felix, um, in our arms. And, you know, there's something so special about holding a little baby. I love holding babies, so I can't wait till Nate and Alicia's baby's born in the next few days, hopefully. Right, Alicia? <laughs> um, and I'll get to hold their baby uh, because we're not having any more, so I guess we have to hold other people's babies. But, you know, I just love holding babies because they're so precious. But when you're holding one of your own, your own children or your 
grandchildren, you know, you look at that child, you think, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect this child from harm and from hurt. There's nothing I wouldn't do to stand in the way of them being um, abused or mistreated in any kind of way because I love them. And as a human father and grandfather, I can understand why God would do what he did in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to earth to suffer on the cross. It's because he loved us and he didn't want to see us hurt and abused and broken by the things of this world and the, the effects of sin. You see, some would say that Jesus had to die because God was angry at us and because God was going to hurt us and God was going to punish us and God was so angry at us that Jesus had to go and stand in the way of God's wrath over us. Because the Bible does say that we all have sinned. And that God has a problem with sin. Sin is not God's, um, God's plan for us. And God hates sin, the Bible says. But, you know, that doesn't mean that God hates us. In fact, the Bible tells us God loves every one of us. And his hatred for sin doesn't translate into a hatred for us. God hates the fact that sin brings us pain and suffering. And so he sent Jesus to take the punishment of sin. You see, it's not God that was standing up there demanding that we be punished. It was sin. It was sin. It was evil in the world that demands we be punished. You see, the Bible says that the power of sin is death. And sin holds over each one of us the, 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 the concept of death, that we will die because of our own sin. So when Jesus came, he, he, was, he came in our place not to, not to avert the wrath of God, but to avert the wrath of sin. You see, certainly the death of Jesus was horrific, and he was inflicted with all kinds of anger, wrath, and abuse, but it was not God's wrath. It was the anger of evil and sin. It is not God that wants to hurt or destroy us. It is sin that has always had in its idea to hurt and to bring death into the life of every human being. That's what the account in Genesis of the, the first sin of Adam and Eve is all about. It brings death. But Jesus came to give us victory over sin and over death. Let's take a look at the next video. The cross is the symbol of the Christian faith. It's kind of like the logo of Christianity. About a third of the Gospels are about the death of Jesus, and much of the rest of the New Testament is spent explaining why he died. I found that when I understood why Jesus had died, when I experienced what his death had achieved for me, it changed everything. Why did Jesus die? Well, the answer is because he loves you. There's a verse in the New Testament where Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. There's a story uh, that comes out of the Second World War. I'm always interested in Second World War stories. I don't know if it's because my parents lived through that time in Europe or uh, it just fascinates me, some of the stories and the, and the, the, the great triumphs that come out of uh, World War II um, when there was so much evil around when there was so much evil and so much hurt coming on people. There's a story told about the concentration camp in Auschwitz where a few prisoners escaped. 
And in order to deter the escape of more prisoners, that, you know, the guards thought people got the idea that they can escape, what they did is they lined the people up, the men up in, uh, in the camp, and they, um, they randomly picked ten men and said, okay, those people escape, now you ten are going to die for their transgression of running away. And in the, in the group of men that wasn't picked was a, uh, was a priest, Father Maximilian Colby, um, who's now become a saint by the Catholic Church. But Maximilian Colby, he, he was standing there. He was a very devout believer in Christ. He was, uh, was a great man in the, in the camp in that bringing faith and hope to people. He was always testifying of the goodness of God and God's love for the people around him. And when one of the men, one of the ten men that was called forward began to cry out that he didn't want to die because he had a wife and he had children and he wanted to, he, he wanted to live so that he could continue to care for them in his life. It was Maximilian Colby that s- stepped forward and said, I'll take his place. I'll be the one that will die in his place. And the guard said, okay. You can take his place. And he put the father, the husband, back in the, in the group, and he took Maximilian Colby instead. And Maximilian, Father Maximilian Colby, died at the hands of those guards in Auschwitz. You know, the Bible says that Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. When Jesus died on the cross, he did something very similar to what Maximilian Kolbe did. He stepped in to take our punishment. He stepped in to take the, 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 our sin upon himself. What the sentence that was brought against us was laid upon Jesus. While we should be the ones that receive the anger of sin and death, he took it. So when we look at that story, we can very much easily see Maximilian Kolbe being like Jesus in our lives and in the story of the cross. But one of the things we have to be really careful with something like this is we have to understand that God is not the guard. Because if you make it that God is angry at us and that he's the one that demands death, then he would have to be the guard. He would have to be the, 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 the evil one in the story. But God is not the evil one. God is the force behind Maximilian Kolbe. God is the force behind Jesus offering his life. The, the, the evil one, the Satan, the Lucifer, sin, is the one who demands our punishment and our death. Go ahead. The word sin can sometimes make me think of religious guilt or things like luxury chocolates and ice cream. The phrase, this is sinful, has become synonymous with something enjoyable. I saw an advert for ice cream that said, it's so good, it's sinful. But sin in the Bible is much more profound and relevant to you and me today than we sometimes realize. We're not talking about accidental mistakes or eating too much chocolate, but our seemingly natural inclination to mess things up, to break stuff like promises and relationships that we care about and even our own well-being. And often we look around at others and think, okay, I get stuff wrong, sure, but comparatively, I'm not that bad, right? There are people doing far worse things than me. And if we're honest, we've all done stuff wrong. Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and the glory of God was revealed in Jesus. And compared to him, we all fall a long way short. So you might say, well, in that case, we're all in the same boat. Why does it matter? But there are consequences to the things that we do wrong. And the New Testament describes the impact of sin in a few different ways. Just as the pollution of our environment is a major problem, Jesus said it's also possible to pollute your life, your heart. And this is the pollution of sin. The things we do wrong can spoil our lives. Sin poisons our relationships with one another. And it also spoils our relationship with God. The bad stuff in our lives is also addictive. Sin is powerful. Yeah, I resonate with what St Paul said. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, I do. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So, for example, if you take heroin for a sustained period, you'll become addicted. But it's not just hard drugs. It's also possible to be addicted to things like a bad temper, envy, arrogance, pride, selfishness, slander, sexual immorality. This is the slavery that Jesus spoke about that has this destructive power over our lives. There is something in human nature that cries out for justice. Love and justice are not opposed. When we hear about a child being molested or about an elderly person being brutally attacked in their homes, we long for the people who do these things to be caught and punished because we believe there should be a penalty for sin. But it's not just other people's sins that deserve to be punished, it's ours as well. But it's easier to think about other people's and less so about ourselves. St Paul said, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. The things that we do wrong create a barrier. It's a bit like when you fall out with someone you love, like a family member or a close friend, and you can't look them in the eye. It's like there's something that's come between you. And the things that we do wrong, our sin, creates a partition, a barrier between us and God. And it's like the breakdown of a relationship, not just with God, but also all our relationships. That's the problem. That's the bad news. So what's the solution? Well, the good news is that God loves you. And he came to the earth in the person of his son to do something about it, to die for you and to die for me. So we say that Jesus took our sin that Jesus was the one who died in our place, that Jesus really took on sin. He went to war against sin. But Jesus didn't do it in our traditional way of thinking of war. He didn't bring arms. He didn't try to, to take the strong man down by being stronger or being more vicious. Jesus did it in a very different and subversive way. Jesus voluntarily submitted to the ultimate power of sin in that he... he he volunteered to die because that's ultimately. He didn't fight back. He did not even speak out. The Bible says that Jesus went to the, to, to the slaughter like a lamb. He was quiet, like he was trusting. He knew something was going on that was greater than what even his accusers knew. And while they reviled him with all kinds of insults and all kinds of hatred, and as they beat him and they tortured him, Jesus, it says, spoke not a word. He did it in a very humble and quiet way. He was crucified through physical torture. But more than, this, that, than that, the sinless one became sin for us. 
The Bible says he actually took upon himself the sin. So Jesus, who had never sinned, who had never committed the, the crimes against each uh, humanity that we commit on a daily basis, he took sin upon himself. And so the emotional and spiritual toll that came upon Jesus was probably even greater than the physical uh, torture that he experienced. But why? Why didn't he fight back? You see, because he not only wanted to forgive sins, he wanted to offer us eternal life. He wanted to break the ultimate power of sin. And so he died, and he was buried. They rolled a stone in front of his tomb. But three days later, when the women went to the tomb to put more embalming spices on his corpse, they were met with an angel who said this, Do not be afraid, the angel said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. The angel proclaimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he took the women into the tomb and showed them that there were the grave clothes. And if you follow last week, uh, both in, in, in our service and in the, uh, the, the week study as well in our RLC groups, you'll, you have, will have heard that there is more evidence for the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than many other of them the, mo the historical documents. One person has said there's more proof that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived. The historical record is there. And so the angel proved to these women, and over and over and over again, it was proved that Jesus was no longer in that tomb, but he had risen from the dead. And so all the wrath and all the hate that was thrown at Jesus was overtaken and destroyed, not by violence and more death, but by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In rising from the dead, Jesus destroyed the power of sin. And so Paul writes it like this in Colossians, having, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, Jesus went head to, head to head, toe to toe with sin, and he won because he beat sin at its own game of death. Go ahead. My dad died a couple of years ago after about eight years of suffering from dementia, and it was by far the hardest thing that we as a family have had to deal with uh, seeing him go from the sort of loving father and dad and brilliant physicist that he was um, sort of descending into this fog of memory loss and confusion and anger and fear uh, it was horrible to watch and in those times I remember asking seriously questions like why? why him? why us? Why now? What possible purpose could that have? How could God allow that to happen to him? How can God allow that to happen to anyone? How can suffering happen when God loves us? And 
those are questions that crop up a lot in the Bible. You read in the Psalms questions about why is God so far away? And that's how it felt, was God was far away. And, and yet it's important to ask those questions. Being a Christian, believing in God doesn't mean you can't have doubts and ask questions the whole time. You know, Jesus himself cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But actually it was on the cross, it's the death, the suffering of Jesus and his death on the cross, which I found gave me not a complete answer, but some help as I was going through that. Because it helped me understand that God's not aloof, far away, sitting on some cloud, but actually he came in Jesus and suffered himself. He knows what it's like to suffer and he died and therefore he understands what we're going through. If we're suffering, he's with us in that suffering. And eventually my dad uh, died and actually sounds strange to say it, but it was a bit of a relief. And uh, I had this strange sense of peace all the way through. And a lot of that was to do with reading about Jesus's resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that death's not the end. That ultimately, Jesus has defeated death. And that even though we might suffer now, one day, there'll be no more suffering. And there'll be no more pain. In my own life, I've failed in many ways. I've hurt others through my greed, pride, envy, lust, and deceit. These sins have led me into broken relationships, into habits, addictions that I couldn't control. I've lied, I've cheated others, I've gossiped, and I've caused other people needless strife in my lifetime. And in all of this, I've been often powerless to help myself. You know, they talk about self-help, but I've found self-help to be not very helpful. <laughs> but I heard about Jesus at a very young age, and throughout my life, I've had the privilege of knowing that there is a place where I can take all my failures and be forgiven. There's a place where I can go to the cross of Jesus Christ, and I can ask God to forgive me of my sins, and he is faithful, and he forgives me. Because Jesus bore all my sins on, his, on the cross. When I come to Jesus with my sins and my failures, he's not shocked, he's not surprised. Because he already tasted what those sins were about. He already knew when he was on the cross that what I, the sins that, that I would bring to him. And he's prepared in those moments when I come to him to say, I forgive you, my child. I love you. That was the whole purpose of the cross. The cross stands as a symbol of what Jesus has done for me. Not only has he helped me to deal with my own weaknesses and sin, but he's helped me to recognize that through his grace, I can forgive others. You see, I'm helpless to help, to, to help myself. So when I understand that I need to come to Jesus for forgiveness, that I can't correct all the wrongs that I've done, then I recognize in other people that they're the same as me. 
You see, Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said some really strange things. One of the strangest things he said was, as he looked down at the people that had tortured him, had, had lied about him in his, in his unfair trial, and all the, the things that had happened, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so I understand, because of my helplessness with my own sin, that the people that hurt me, the people that have caused me pain and injustice and all kinds of things, I recognize that they're as helpless with their sin as I am. And so in that light, I can, I can, I can work at forgiving them. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but I understand God forgives me in that same way, and I can forgive others. Jesus says to me, just as I have freely been forgiven by God through Christ, I can now see my brothers and my sisters who are bound by the power of the same sin are helpless without Christ, and I can offer them forgiveness. Here's another story that comes from a concentration camp in World War II, and uh, it's by one of my favorite um, Dutch ladies, Corrie ten Boom. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards in the concentration, uh, concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, once in here forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing. And we had to stand naked. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells, they took his garments, he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, then 
only I knew. I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5. The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and uh, we're going to sing a song and um, at the same time I'm going to invite those who are going to serve uh, the communion emblems. They're here. If you want to come and get these. We're going to pass these around while we sing and you'll have a a couple of cups here, and uh, one has a a little biscuit in it, and the top one has um, some grape juice in it. I think this is a good time to celebrate the, what we call the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, a time for us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross in forgiving us, and the challenge for us to forgive all those who sinned against us. So when you receive this, and everybody's welcome to participate, if you feel comfortable with that, uh, you can take one of the emblems, but just hold on to them for a few moments, and we'll talk about that, and, and we'll receive them together in just a moment. Go ahead. You know, the love of God and His forgiveness has always been God's true character. He's always evidenced that love and that forgiveness. Even when Adam and Eve, the story of Adam and Eve, when they first sinned in the garden, God wasn't the one that was punishing them. It was God who actually took an animal and killed it and made clothes for them so they could cover their nakedness because they were ashamed of their nakedness in their sin. And in doing that, God was really foretelling how God was going to ultimately deal with sin by offering a sacrifice in Jesus Christ that would cover and take care of our sin. But between the time of Adam and Eve and and Jesus, God was always about forgiving the sins of his people. It was King David, I think, who who most realized this, who really really grasped the grace and the love of God in the Old Testament. He realized that it wasn't in the sacrifices that forgiveness was, was found. It was in God himself and in his character. 
And it's something that King David lived out in his life because he found himself to be a sinner. As devout as, devout as he was and as, as passionate he was about worshiping God and, and following God and doing the right things, David found himself in sin, serious sin. He, he had a man murdered to cover up the adultery that he had committed with this man's wife. And in that time when David tried to cover that up and he tried to pretend it didn't happen, God sent a prophet to him to confront him on his sin. God's so gracious because he doesn't want us to live with the consequences of our sin. He always wants to bring it to light so that we can find forgiveness. And that was a mercy of God that the prophet Nathan came to David. And David prayed these words. He said, Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. I'd like you to stand with me in reverence for God and I'd like you to pray this prayer. Maybe you can very quickly something comes to your mind that says, I've sinned, I've violated God's purpose and plan for my life, and I need his forgiveness today. With that in mind, would you pray this prayer with me? Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Jesus prayed the prayer then. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he taught us to pray as we prayed earlier in the service, as Eric led us in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Maybe you can think of someone that you're finding it hard to forgive. Someone that who's hurt you in your life. Understand that forgiveness does not excuse them. Forgiveness does not um, set them free from the consequences of their behavior. God says he'll take care of all of that. That, that the course of sin itself will bring its own reward to that person. But God wants you to be free of the sins that have been committed against you. And he doesn't want you held captive by the bitterness and the brokenness that comes with seeking revenge or having hatred in our heart towards those who've sinned against us. So would you pray this prayer with me? Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Say that with me. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Say it again. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And as Jesus prayed, let us pray together. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. One more time. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Sometimes there are some of us that have difficulty seeing our sin. Those of us who have maybe followed God for a long time and we've kind of shed a lot of the old habits and 
even some of the addictions and some of the, the, the vices that maybe we carried into our faith and we see ourselves as living a fairly good life. But we forget that the, the currents of sin run very, very deep in our world. And that it's not always the things that are visible that need God's forgiveness as much as the things that are hidden. The things that we're complicit in. That we get caught up in the world system of greed. That we get caught up in envy. That we get caught up in pride and self-righteousness. And we forget that we too are in constant need of the forgiveness of God. You know, it's very simple things that make us complicit with the, with the sins of injustice and the, the, the crimes against humanity that we can e so easily be part of. We go to the store and we see a, a t-shirt that is really cheap and we think, well, why not buy that cheap t-shirt that was made somewhere in the world in a sweatshop by a child or by a mother? And we, for our own personal gain, make a choice to purchase something that actually has caused another person to be found in slavery. We didn't intend to do that. We want to be good stewards of our money, all kinds of things that we could say, but we find ourselves complicit in these things. The pollution of our lakes and rivers. We participate in those things and the things we consume and we, we waste away. There are all kinds of things that we, we become complicit in that we have no intention of ever being part of but we need to be reminded again and again no matter how we may have cleaned up our lives of all those vices we too continue to need the forgiveness of God and the things we intended and the things we did not intend I find this prayer a prayer of confession very helpful for me to be reminded that not everything that I need forgiveness of is on my radar that is in my level of consciousness. So would you pray this prayer of confession with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Jesus did what he did because God loved us so much. He didn't want to see us suffering. He didn't want to see us punished. He didn't want to see us bear the weight of our own sin and our own guilt in our lives. So Jesus took it for us. His body was broken for us. And this little cracker rem reminds us today of the fact that Jesus' body was tortured, it was bruised, it bled for our sake, for the forgiveness of our sin. So let's partake together and give thanks for his forgiveness. We say that Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. 
It's funny to think that blood, blood could be a cleansing agent. In fact, that's totally opposite. Blood is one of the worst stains that you can ever have, right? All the laundry people out there. But you know, I think that's just kind of a backwards, it's kind of the, the backwards way of the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross to fight. He submitted. And in so doing, he made a spectacle of Satan, of sin and its power of death. And because his blood cleanses us from all sin, it washes us not red like blood, it washes us white as snow, the scripture says. And it gives us freedom from our sin and the punishment of our sin and offers us the gift of eternal life. Death has no power over us. Let's partake and give thanks to God. Just take a moment and reflect upon our message today and give thanks to God for his forgiveness. I'd like you to find someone, a partner, just one other person. And I'd like you to look at that person in the face, eye to eye. Do that right now. One of the hardest things to do is to really understand how much God loves us and how forgiven we are. So I'd like you to tell that person that you're looking at right now in the eye, I'd like you to tell that person that God loves them. Say, God loves you. Now what I want you to tell them, I want you to tell them that they're forgiven and absolved of the guilt of their sin. I want you to offer them absolution today, okay? <laughs> Turn around and tell that person, you are forgiven, you are absolved of the guilt of your sin. Does that feel weird? You need to be told that because sometimes it's hard to let it sink in. But I want every one of you to know this morning that God loves you, He loves me, and He's offered forgiveness to all of us. And if we receive that forgiveness, He says there's nothing that can stand in the way. His love is so great that we can be forgiven. Just like King David, just like Adam and Eve, just like Paul of Tarsus, just like Peter, just like the woman caught in adultery, just like Mary Magdalene, who lived a life of shame, just like the woman at the well, just like Zacchaeus, the rich man, we are all forgiven. In Jesus' name, I want to tell you this morning, you are forgiven. God bless you. You may be seated.